Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. The Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 183 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. Coming up, we're going to speak to a veteran of the pro-life movement to get his thoughts about how it all started and what happens now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. My next guest, Joseph Foreman, has been an ordained Presbyterian minister for many years. Almost 35 years ago, he was a co-founder of a group called Operation Rescue, a Christian organization which used peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience to try to stop abortion in different parts of the country. Uh, we bring Brother Joseph Foreman on the program today to talk not only about uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned, but to talk about the Christian roots of the pro-life movement. Uh, sir, it's good to have you on the program. Again, uh, I've interviewed you several times many years ago. It's good to talk to you again. Um, I guess, first of all, what are your thoughts about the Roe versus Wade decision being overturned a few days ago? Well, so many people in America are geared to think that the laws of the state and the laws of the government are somehow equivalent, <clears throat> excuse me, to the laws of God, that uh, removing Roe is almost like the state giving permission for us to obey God. Um, and, and I know that from my perspective, that's a ludicrous position, but that I think really is the position that most Christians hold. Um, and I mean, big name Christians. It just seems to be a universal thing that the law is the law and you have to obey it, uh, even if it means protecting the murder of children. Yeah. So having this, ha- having this court decision struck, struck down, um, and as you know, a Supreme Court case is not law at all. Um, it's, it's merely a ruling. And, um, uh, but, but at any rate, having it struck down is, has been, I think, will be a, a great step forward. Uh, absolutely. And there have been a number of Supreme Court decisions over the 200-plus years of this country um, that the U.S. Supreme Court has, uh, has overturned itself years later. Dred Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, different, you know, two of the more well-known uh, decisions that the uh, that the court overturned. Um, Correct. Now, you, you make a good point there about the law of man versus the law of God, because um, uh, I live in a state, Arkansas, which um, a few years ago 
put into effect is something called they, they call the abortion trigger law. Uh, that if and when Roe v. Wade was overturned, then abortions in the state of Arkansas uh, would once again be outlawed, and they were just, you know, hoping, praying, waiting on the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. But the idea that they could have done something in the in the in the meantime to just say, well, look, it's it's against the law to kill children in this state, is something that the, the state legislature in, in Arkansas. I don't think most of them would have contemplated. No, and that's that's true. It's, it's unfortunate that that this disease of uh, state comes first runs throughout almost the every denomination throughout the leadership. Uh, our churches reflect a top-down uh, master-slave relationship, uh, and the whole idea that that God is 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 the one who is Lord of what we do is completely lost in the belief that we go along to get along and obey and, and obey the master, which is the state. Um, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Uh, it's, it's roughly like this. If someone's about to be murdered, there's no law that can protect the murderer from you stopping the murder. Yeah. Um, it, it's real simple, and and when people say, "Well, how about execution and stuff like that?" We're we're not talking about what takes place in a judicial court. We're talking about when an innocent person is about to be murdered. Uh, you don't, and for whatever reason, the state says it's right to murder him. They could be Jewish, they could be Palestinian, they could be anything that 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 people want to kill. In our case, it's preborn children. Yeah. Uh, the the idea that God says rescue those dragged to the slaughter is somehow nullified by the Supreme Court of the United States of America, makes it the Supreme Court of the Kingdom of Heaven and of God himself. If, if, if they can strike down Proverbs, um, if they can strike down Scripture in the heart of every Christian, then they have become, then the Christian has made them the Supreme Court of the Kingdom of God. And uh, it's that sort of blasphemy that brings about the judgment of God upon a people. Yeah. Now, now I guess this would be a good time to um, to talk about the the roots of the Operation Rescue movement that you were a co-founder of back in was it about 1988? Yeah, we started in about 1987. But yes, 87. It, okay. It first uh, appearance was 1988 into the world. Yes. Right. Right. And and for for my listeners. Um, uh, Reverend Foreman um, was referencing a proverb which is not often preached on, I don't think, in most churches in America, uh, the Amplified Bible, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death and those who stagger to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back from their doom if you claim ignorance and say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs and examines the hearts and their motives? And does he not know it who guards your life and keeps your soul? And will he not repay you and every man according to his works? So what was it that that struck you and a few other people in 1987, um, some 14 or so years after the Roe v. Wade decision and and even more years after some of the— the states in the United States had 
made abortion legal. What was it that compelled you and some others to start the Operation Rescue organization, a Christian pro-life movement? And for those of my listeners who are unfamiliar with it, um, once you did make that decision to form this this organization, uh, what did you do with it? Well, that's kind of, if we were in court, I'd ask you to simplify the question. But uh, Well, I so probably should have done that anyway. Sorry. Simply, what moved us was the life of the child. Yeah. Uh, here is a child, completely helpless, in the image of God, from conception, according to Scripture. Yep. And he was being treated as if the child was, was it, let me put it to you this way. In New York City, there's the famous case of a, of a woman getting raped, screaming loudly for help, and somebody went around and checked out, and, and, it, and uh, something like 95 of her neighbors heard it happening and didn't do anything to respond. Yeah. Well, when they're murdering children in the womb, and, and of course we're horrified by that, and we think, what a horrible place New York is, and we think, oh, what a bad thing cities have become. Yeah. Well, when you realize that that same judgment, which we meet out against them, which I think it's a valid judgment, um, here's a situation where they are being murdered. We know when it is. We know where it is. We know who's doing it. Uh, and all you have to do is go down and prevent, just block the door. Just keep it from happening. Keep the mothers out. Keep the abortionists out. Don't let it happen. That's all Christians have to do. Within an hour's drive of that place, on any abortion clinic in America, within an hour's drive, are about a million Christians. Um, if if you think that's an exaggeration, just count the churches. There are more than enough Christians to reach out with compassion and rescue those who are dragged to slaughter. And that's that's what motivated us. God says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Yes. And I can guarantee you, if you were the one who was on the block, you wouldn't say, uh, could, would you mind writing a letter on my behalf to your congressman? And if you were the one on the block, would, you wouldn't say, you know, I realize these political things take time. See if you can get a pro-lifer elected. And incidentally, a pro-lifer elected who will act as if they're pro-life once they're elected. Oh, and by the way, not only act like they're pro-life once they're elected, but act like abolitionists who realize that the slaughter of children is 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 not something to be tolerated or worked with or or dealt with, but it's something to be abolished, removed. It's kind of like the abolition of slavery. Um, we don't want the uh, Garf. Uh, what, what was his name? Not William Garfield. He was the president. Um, James uh, James Garfield Lloyd, was the Lloyd president. Eighteen eighty. Um, right and. He started out. Hello. Yeah, I'm. I'm. We're still right here. Okay. He he started out. He didn't start out. He made it his his goal to abolish the anti-slavery movement because he says we don't need an anti-slavery movement. They will work with slavery forever. Oh. We need people who are abolitionists who will remove this this corruption. And 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 that's the thing about. Um, when you rescue, 
for that day, for those children there, you've taken out of it out of the political arena. You've taken it out of the social issue arena where they interview you or me to find out her opinions on it. And does the yeah. pro-abortion people, what's their opinion? Yeah. And you go down to this child today was not murdered because the church of Jesus Christ was there. Now, for my, for my listeners, William Lloyd Garrison was a prominent American Christian abolitionist uh, journalist. He's best known for his uh, widely read anti-slavery newspaper, The Liberator, and he lived from yeah. uh, 1805 to 1879, but he founded that anti-slavery newspaper in 1831, published in Boston until slavery in the United States was uh, abolished by constitutional amendment in 1865. And um, he he promoted a no government no governmentism and rejected the uh, inherent validity of the American government on the basis that its engagement uh, in among other things slavery made it corrupt and tyrannical. Uh, so I just got a, a, an education there on William Lloyd Garrison. I'd heard the name before, but I didn't really uh, know who he was. Well, you you raise an interesting question. To me, I, I do not know why Christians think that the government is a holy institution that that um, um, can do the job of the church for it. Yeah. We don't hire people to take our place to do the things we're supposed to do. You know, do you hire somebody to sleep with your wife? Uh, do you hire somebody to raise your, well, actually, when you say raise your children, if you send them to public school, you, you do hire the state to raise your children. Yeah. And that's my whole point. Uh, and and to be honest, I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not endorsing Garrison here, but I certainly am sympathetic with what you said. And and that is that that you don't wait for the state to, to do the job of the church. The job of the church is to protect and administer to and bring life to the innocent. That's the job of the church, and it's supposed to 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 convert the lost. And that's what we should be doing with the state. If you had all the Christians making it so that you couldn't kill your baby here in America if you wanted to, and there would be no place, there would be nobody who didn't have some, some who couldn't take care of their kid, who couldn't also find help, if the church was being the church, the state would begin to transform into something that's far more uh, reflective of, of its role. Uh, but when all people think of is power religion, so we got to take over the power state before we can do anything. It's, I mean, it's just telling God that he's a potted plant. We don't need him. What we do need is enough pro-life governors or something like that. So um, the last time I interviewed you years and years ago, uh, when I did a radio talk show in uh, Panama City, Florida, um, we were talking about um, – your um, inspiration for trying to put together this pro-life movement, and you shared with me a passage out of the the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, uh, and it was very compelling. And again, again, it's a, uh, a passage that I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon preached on it, and I've been in the church uh, most of my life. Perhaps you could share that with my uh, with my listeners. Well, it, it's not surprising. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet who much of what he prophesies is fairly hostile to ordained ministry. Uh, whether you're a priest in ancient Israel or whether you're a, a priest in the First Baptist Church. Um, and there's stuff in it that, that 
really resounds like I set you as a watchman on the wall. They they like stuff like that because really all watchmen have to do is, is stay awake and shout. Um, but but then in those passages on a whole on a whole uh which which are God's representation of Israel or the yeah. church, um, you they they're supposed to be his wife, and, and instead they they um, they become prostitutes, and it describes their prostitution quite literally. Well, anyway, yeah, very graphically, I, I would say, very graphically, God, very graphically. Yes, um, so graphically, I will not quote them. Right, and, and and that's a fascinating thing. The Word of God itself says things that you and I and our and your listeners are too holy to repeat. Yikes! Because we would never use that kind of lavish, uh, uh, lavish graphic illustration. God must somehow be a sinner for using it. I mean, honestly, think about this. But but I mean, I I'm going to respect our holier than God sensibilities. Um, but, but the fact wow. of the matter is, God leaves no uncertain terms to His prostituting church um, and, yeah. and His prostituting people. And I'm not going to get into the theology of the difference between Israel and the church. In this respect, they're the same. Namely, they they bear the name of God. They're the wife of God, and and uh, you know, on on that level, there's that other theological debate is um, is moot. Anyway. Uh, Ezekiel says, um, when, um, and I think this is fourteen uh, six um, or sixteen. Is it sixteen six? Anyway, I, I think it's Ezekiel's Ezekiel sixteen. Yeah, it, it's Ezekiel sixteen, right? And and the specific verse you're thinking about is six. But in Ezekiel sixteen, he says, um, uh, "You're uh, he, he he says that he the Lord was was." in essence, going down the road, and he saw you when you were a baby with your umbilical cord uncut, lying in the ditch in your mother's blood. Yeah. And I said to you, live. Uh, and so his first meeting with his people is the meeting of a baby that was intended to be killed from birth. Uh, they didn't have sophisticated abortion equipment back then, but, but as soon as she could divest herself of this uh, child, she did. And, and and there you were, helpless, struggling in your own mother's blood, and I said, live. And and you grew up, uh, and, and he goes on to describe how, how God marries him. And uh, er, early on, um, when, when my wife Ann and I were just getting involved, uh, the uh, pro-life group in the area, uh, this, I mean, this is before Ann and I were doing anything other than picketing a hospital. Yeah. Um, and, and the pro-life group in the area, uh, I, I should really say over in Ohio, uh, had, had taken boxes off the, the loading dock of a uh, testing lab, which, would, which made its living by having abortion clinics ship all their, the products of their abortion over to them, and then they would go through them and certify that there were no septic abortions. Uh, and so these boxes were just sitting there, and, and, and the pro-lifers over there uh, said, let's see what's in them. And so they, they went and picked them up and drove them off and looked at them. Can I ask you real quick? Come from. I'm sorry uh, to interrupt, but they were to verify there were no septic abortions. Now, what, what does that mean? Uh, that means that, that – um, 
the concern of the abortionist is that the removal of the unborn child be complete. And the concern of the law usually governing abortion is because the health of the mother, uh, you can't leave body parts of the child in her or okay. she will get sick and die. Okay, okay. Uh, or can get sick and die. Yeah. And that's a septic uh, septic condition. Okay. Others are when, when the abortion cannula uh, perforates the uterus and uh, starts sucking out her bowels. Yikes. Um, that would be another case of a septic. Uh, but but anyway, yeah. so these are just certifying that, that these actually were safe uh, abortions for the mother as far as this goes. Yeah. So uh, uh, they ended up with this box, and they didn't know what to do with it because nobody wanted to take care of it. So they asked us, and Ann and I said, sure. So we, we kept it in our basement. And uh, one night we went down uh, down to it and just, just to check through, just to see what it was. We had never seen this firsthand. This was before the days of uh, uh, graphic pictures. In fact, it was babies like this that graphic pictures were made of. And um, we went through the, through the box and just started pulling out child after child and, and literally holding them in our hands. Oh, my. Oh my! So anyway, I, I guess that changed everything for you. Verse, that's when this verse came to me. Uh, was just God saying, "That's that's how I found you, Christian. That's how I found you, Joseph. You, Anne. You, Doc. You were that child being held in the hands with nothing in you that could live in your own mother's blood." Um, and I said, "Do you live?" So that's the whole nature of salvation: is that God literally rescues us from being nothing more than body parts in the hands of Satan. Yeah. And and he takes hold of us, and he says, I'm going to have you live. Well, if he's going to do that, then isn't our job rescue? Isn't that what evangelism is? We rescue those being led to the slaughter. And then when we think of it spiritually, how much more should we uh, think of it in terms of when somebody's literally being led to slaughter, why are we not there to rescue them, to, to be that gospel, to take up our cross and follow him to that place and lay down our lives for those people the way his life was laid down for us? Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Um, surely it's not just some Buddhist navel-gazing thing in which we say, well, I'm born again, God bless me. Uh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, look, there's another born-again person. We can get together and talk about being born again. Um, I mean, that, that, that's just so Buddhist uh, be, be, because it treats the, the transforming power of the Spirit of God as if he is nothing more than an inner balancer for us, someone who gives us inner peace so that now in the midst of trouble, we can feel good about all things. You know, and so we can say, look, Roe v. Wade came down. Isn't God great? And it's like, yes, God is great. Because he's a great God who transforms his people. And why we're thinking that something that most of us have done nothing to bring down is somehow a, a, a blessing to our credit, it's crazy. Uh, we should be taking this opportunity we have, and in those state, states where it's been made illegal, we know that the metropolitan centers are not going to prosecute this law. Therefore, we need to... Our, I hope I says where the states have made it illegal, like Texas has. Yeah. Um, we need to go to places that are the major metropolitan centers, and, and Christians need to go there and start rescuing those children that, that, that up until now, the Christians there have been perfectly willing to let be murdered, slaughtered, torn to bits. Yeah. Um, so I, I, um, 
I don't know how uh, your listeners think of Trump, but let me just say one thing about him that that I I give to all my people who are too sophisticated to like him. He's the first politician who ever described abortion as as the ripping apart of a child on the public arena, on the public stage. Yeah. And it, it, it struck me when I was watching that, that um, debate with Hillary that, that here he is despised by all the sophisticated um, Republican and political and people who know how to say it just right. Uh, and he just, in his own inimitable way, just said, they're being ripped out of their mother. And then usually when people get offended because he said it the wrong way, he doubles down on it. And he did it with Hillary. It was phenomenal. And then I realized, you know what? He's the first, the first one to ever do it at almost any level of politics. And Christians are saying uh, that we have Christian pro-life politicians. Trump is better than all of them as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, and, uh, you, you certainly didn't if hear you like Trump. You say, of course, if you don't like Trump, you go, well, wait a second here. But that, those are just the facts. Yeah, I mean, you didn't hear that kind of uh, verbiage from Mitt Romney or John McCain or George W. Bush or certainly not Bob Dole. Um, and I'm tired of calling them pro-life. We need to stop calling these people pro-life. Yeah. Yeah, because what, what they are is is their their people who are hoping that once again the pro-lifers can drop their soap in the shower so they can have their way with them. Oh, boy. Well, I, I recall that in 2004, in the lead-up to George W. Bush's uh, re-election, um, his campaign had uh, liaisons to the religious community, people reaching out to the Christian community saying how important it is to get George W. Bush re-elected because we need more pro-life judges on the U.S. Supreme Court. And then so when he gets reelected, the first person he nominates for the U.S. Supreme Court is uh, Harriet Myers. And again, his people reaching out to the Christian community are telling people like Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family, and all these well-known Christian leaders, hey, 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 don't worry about this. She is strong, constitutional, conservative, pro-life, et cetera, et cetera, until uh, an audio tape of, of proving that she was in no way pro-life came out, and a lot of people like Dr. Dobson felt like, boy, I've been taken to the cleaners here. They, they, they lied to me. Um, but that is the nature of American politics these days, with, with the uh, possible exception, like you said, of Donald Trump. Well, and, and that's the thing. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not here to praise or blame him or say he's a good president or a bad president. I know that'll, that'll offend people and not offend people, depending on who you are. Right. I'm just saying that, that he has done more. I, I mean, really, if you want to credit somebody with Roe going down, it's him. Yeah. Um, well, and when he was asked uh, about it after Roe was overturned, he said God did it. Yeah. Yeah. And it... Anyway, I just use that to heckle the 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 panty lace, straight pinkied, uh, so called Republican conservatives uh, to to say, look, here's the guy that that you think is too undignified to represent you, but he's the one who actually is the first time anybody's made half the conservative stands he's made. Out of, out of, I'm, 
I shouldn't say this. We're we're meeting in this place. I, I, I won't give you the name of it, but it's a place that that is a training institute for um, uh, uh, conservative uh, politicians and yeah. judges and all all kinds of stuff like that. Sure. And I just looked at the wall of all the people there, and I thought, you know. They taught these people the rules of the game and how to effectively play by the rules. They did not teach these people how to win by the rules or any other way. And so, consequently, we have an entire conservative pro-life world, an entire conservative church that that is not committed to winning right. the kingdom of God or anything else. Right. Well, uh, Rush Limbaugh used to talk about the um, – before there was Newt Gingrich uh, – the uh, Republican leader in the U.S. House of Representatives, a guy named Bob Michael, and he was very, um, very satisfied and content to be the leader of the minority party and to play golf with the Democrats. And uh, you know, the idea of trying to defeat them was just not in his lexicon. And I think that is the way it is uh, with with most Republican politicians, and 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 sadly. Um, most leaders of of uh, Christian churches in America. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about. It. I will say this though: the reason they're like that is because that's what we, their constituents, are like. Yeah, and again, that's one of the reasons I advocate uh, rescues because I think a lot of people resonate with the idea that you physically go and save a life. Um, Amen. They might or might not resonate with the idea of a march. They might or might not resonate with the idea of picketing. But but when you say we are down on the corner of Forty Fourth and Third, Third um, Avenue, and and the Christians are there stopping the killing at an abortion clinic, people just get up out of the chair and go. Yeah, um, I've seen it happen. I mean, probably your listeners don't know, even those who are involved in in Operation Rescue, fifty five thousand Christians got up out of their seats, their pews in church, and they were we didn't have any radical i mean we had a small handful of, of like radical people who you would think of as protesters most of them were just moms and pops from across america who'd, who'd never done anything more radical than uh, go to church um and 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 they were there in the middle of it so they would show up in front of abortion clinics to try to uh in, in non-violent peaceful civil disobedience uh, try to block the abortion clinics, giving uh, their counselors enough time to talk to some of these mothers who are there to have their their babies murdered. Exactly. And during during the event, about three thousand children were saved. Not the event, but I mean during during the three or four year period, about three or four thousand children were saved. Um, I would say one of whom I I ran into later was adopted by a very liberal family in Asheville, North Carolina, um, and played soccer on a select team with my son. And I, I was, um, I, I asked his parents, I said, wow, well, where'd you adopt him? In Atlanta. When? Uh, it was ni- 1980, um, beginning of 1989. And, uh, and I just, I didn't say anything. Yeah. I, I said, it was just a single mom who gave birth. Yeah. I said, hmm. Well, I'm you know I'm I'm not going to bother them with with the question, but I was satisfied uh, that that kid's life was saved by what we were doing. People, we will never know who they are. Now, 
Let me let me ask you because I remember years ago talking to uh, a friend of mine who was involved in the rescue movement in Southern California, and he said that when they began uh, blocking abortion clinics there in Southern California, uh, they were keenly aware that there were large evangelical active churches pretty close by, and they figured a lot of people from these churches would show up, and if you have enough people show up, uh, you know, maybe they could actually shut down some abortion clinics, and they were shocked when when that didn't happen. Did In in the early days, uh, late 80s, early 90s, you had a number of high-profile Christian leaders basically come out and condemn what, what you guys were doing, right? Yeah, Charles Stanley uh, was the first one in Atlanta. Um, I even talked to Stanley and, and had uh, showed him Baby Choice, who was a dead uh, eight eight month uh, saline abortion. Wow! Um, and and uh, I, I mean, he just recoiled in horror from it and said, "Get that thing away from me!" Um, I, I mean, just then then uh, in in um, Los Angeles, the assistant chief of police. Uh, Bob Vernon was one of the elders in John MacArthur's church. And I met with Bob two or three times before we were going there. I mean, he was a genuine Christian, uh, uh, and, and, uh, he was known as such, um, and explained to him in detail what we were doing and why we did it. Uh, and he goes to, Bob, uh, his, his pastor and, and, uh, John MacArthur, um, condemned what we were doing. And 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 Bob Vernon proceeded to train his police, say that we really weren't Christians to his police. We know that because we know a lot of the police who were involved later on uh, literally came and talked to us and just said they were disgusted with with uh, Vernon. But anyway, uh, because after they met us as protesters and spent another two or three years arresting us and so forth, they came to the realization that we were the decent kind of people that they wanted for neighbors. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, that, that's, that's jumping to the end of that story. Um, uh, John MacArthur in, endorsed the brutalizing of Christians by the police, uh, in the name of Christ. And, and, uh, I've not had much use for either one of them, but not that I ever had much use for him. Um, I've always been suspicious of big names and, and any, and any victory that's wrought by, by the enhancing of a, of a political person's name strikes me as a is is uh, there's something else going on there that isn't healthy. And, and this so. is this is ironic because fast forward several decades, um, and John MacArthur uh, is very well thought of uh, for, by people who have no idea. <clears throat> pardon me of his uh, earlier interaction with Operation Rescue, the pro life movement. Uh, because a couple of years ago when the state of California uh, said, well, we got this COVID-19 thing going on, so you have to close up your churches. And uh, in an act of peaceful civil disobedience, John MacArthur said, nope, not going to do that. We're going to keep on uh, meeting every Sunday and preaching the gospel every Sunday. So it, it's um, it, it's odd, it's interesting to hear that the peaceful civil disobedience from 30 years earlier of people trying to save babies from being slaughtered, that he came out so strongly against that. Well, there was no money in it. 
he had a he had a huge empire that was getting ready to collapse financially, and so all of a sudden, civil disobedience isn't a bad idea. Uh, <clears throat> just follow the dollars. Uh, now, since nobody really follows the dollars, I'm very glad for his symbolic stand. Okay, in other words, if you don't know the backstory, um, there's a lot of people who don't know the backstory, and therefore they were encouraged. Yeah, uh, to not let the state tell them when and where they could worship. And that was a good thing. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't trash that. What I would say, though, is is that where, where somebody else's life was concerned, he had no heart. Nope, the law is very clear. You follow the law, you let the babies be murdered. And that's, if I could just address something that you're saying, and I use the language all the time, this isn't a rebuke or anything like that. But if you stop and think about it, Civil disobedience assumes that there's a government whose laws are so important it's worth disobeying. If instead you think of it in terms of godly obedience, yeah. then you realize the issue isn't um, the issue isn't that there's somebody who says, by the way, there's a law here. The issue is what has God said, right? And so we're obeying God. I'm sorry, is there a law I broke? Huh? What do you know? Um, it, it's like we we ought to be shrugging our shoulders uh, at. Caesar said, what? Huh. wonder why he would say that. I didn't know he wanted to kill babies. Well, anyway, we're going to rescue him. Um, That that should be our approach and our thinking on the matter. And by the way, I say civil disobedience all the time. Sure. Yeah. Change your language. Yeah, I see see what you're saying. It's kind of like when the apostles in the book of Acts in the New Testament were told, well, you just got to stop preaching about this Jesus. And they said, well, you know, it's up to you guys what you want to do with us, but we're not going to stop preaching about this exactly. man, Jesus. That's exactly the model I was thinking of, Doc. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess so, I guess the terms... Like, I, I never get hung up over language, but yeah. language is often a good good a tra- a teaching moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the term civil disobedience is something that instantly springs to mind for someone who grew up in the 60s and, and the civil rights movement, and that was just a, a term, you know, that the media used, and uh, I hadn't really thought through whether it was was uh, uh, apropos or not. But, yeah, I mean, the, the idea is, is obeying God. God's word is clear. You're supposed to try to um, rescue those who are being led forth to the slaughter, as the, as the, as the Proverbs say. Right. And, and also, uh, Dr. King's a good example because we can look back and, and, um, it's far enough back to where nobody has an emotional dog in the fight. Um, but he was hated by, by the, uh, uh, NAACP, um, because the NAACP, like the National Right to Life, was an organization that was willing to eternally dance with, uh, white oppression. And he, all he did is rather than going out there and saying, hey, black people have rights, you know, uh, instead he went out and he acted like a, a human being with rights. And that's what really torched all the, the uh, 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 racists was, was that he wasn't talking anymore. He was living it. He was acting like it. Uh, he, he was saying, I can do this because I'm a human being by God. And uh, it's that whole different approach that, that when you actually act as if God's word is worth living by, that's what gets the world. And, by the way, the, the false prophets and false pastors uh, 
of the world, the false priests, upset the most because you've broken through their myth that we just can't do this because we we just, you know, well, I'm not really sure ever why we can't just do it. But but the thing that makes the difference is when you actually act as if that life is worth suffering to protect the same way any other human life is. Um, and that that's the difference between Martin Luther King and all the others who came before him. Yeah, well, and, and we're going to get to more about um, um, your thoughts about where we go after the Dobbs decision overturning not just Roe versus Wade, but also Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And, and I want to uh, ask some questions, too, um, about how you typically went about um, uh, doing what uh, what you did. I, I need to... Um, uh, share a couple of uh, uh, words from some of our advertisers. Can 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 we can we keep you over? Yeah, sure. Okay, fantastic. All right, uh, go right I, ahead. Yeah, I think this is the uh, I think this is the first time I've I've ever um, since we started doing the Doc Washburn Show podcast. I think this is the first time that um, we ever did something like this. So we're gonna we're gonna if I can figure out. Yeah, we're gonna put you on hold. And uh, and we'll be this right after back. All right. And we are very thankful, very thankful to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day on the Doc Washburn Show. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still... Here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. We talk a lot about pushing back against the overreach of the federal government. What better example would there be than Obamacare? Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. 
and then that big, beautiful red button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on the red button, you book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he also makes sure that your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, horrible things which would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the big red button, schedule a call now, book a free consultation with Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend, Jonathan Presswood, today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement. But how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there. And there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And a big thank you to our advertisers and friends, Jonathan Presswood with Edward Jones Financial Planning. Uh, Art Mil- uh, Art Wilborn with MyFamilyHealthPlan.com and, of course, our friend Mitch Ward at Red River Your Way. Uh, let us resume our conversation with uh, Reverend Joseph Foreman, an ordained Presbyterian minister who was one of the co-founders of the Operation Rescue Movement back in, the, uh, back in 1987, 1988. Uh, sir, one of the things that, um, that I was told because all three of my brothers actually uh, met their wives in the Operation Rescue Movement. They, they, were, they were all, all six of them were, were volunteers at the time to try to help save babies. One of the things they explained to me was that um, there, there was a tendency to, to meet on Saturday mornings in front of abortion clinics in different parts of the country, uh, but also uh, the preparation beforehand on Friday evening, uh, there would be what was called a solemn assembly. What, what was that all about? Uh, well, the, the solemn assembly is a reference to the 
um, time of mourning in Israel's history when uh, they would be called together uh, to to repent of their sins. There would usually be some some, uh, 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 great geopolitical assault taking place, you know, one of the kings of, of the surrounding nations coming in to attack, that sort of thing. And they would gather to uh, to repent to the Lord of their sins that had brought this judgment upon them. Right, right. Rescue, rescue was a repentance movement. And it's interesting that those who are sensitive and understood that we have sinned, therefore the Lord brings these things upon us, uh, see repentance as reasonable, those who think, well, I didn't do it, I didn't hold slaves, I didn't, you know, practice Jim Crow laws and lynch anybody, therefore, what do I have to repent of? And there's just a simple understanding that when you come back before the Lord, there's, you know, we don't even know what all we have to repent of. Uh, but we do know that, that, that the Lord may have mercy upon us, and so we gather to uh, to repent and beg, beg forgiveness and beg for mercy. Yeah, I mean, for many years, um, because Roe v. Wade is is all you know forty nine and a half years ago. But for many years, I've heard uh, uh, pastors preach that uh, uh, that God would judge this nation uh, based on all the slaughter. I guess over sixty million children uh, killed. Uh, by abortion since Roe versus Wade, uh, and, and so it it would it it doesn't seem to me uh, to be unrealistic or unfair or a misapplication of Scripture to say, well, then we all need to repent if if God is going to hold this nation uh, guilty and judge this nation for what we have allowed uh, to go on. That. You know, the whole idea of repentance seems like a good one to me. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it is. And I think that uh, had we, we repented about a lot of things much earlier, there would be no Black Lives Matter, for instance. Uh, we would have been with them uh, two generations, five generations ago. There, there wouldn't have been a Jim Crow um, had, had the church not sustained it and had the church not acted on it and when but that's a you could say that's a political thing i do know this um there would be no abortion if we simply brought it to a close peacefully and non-violently and there's more than enough christians to do it um so but back on the theme of of when when people say this nation is going to be judged it's like that's a strange thing to say because that means i'm going to be judged yeah uh well why, how is God just in judging me just because I'm a part of this nation? The only way God could be just in judging me along with the nation is if somehow he sees that there were things I could have done that I closed my heart to. Yeah, There's people in need that could have seen that I closed my heart to. There's political solutions uh, that I might have opposed that I, that I closed my heart to thinking, well, it's not, my, it's not my business to wonder whether or not someone's a communist running things. Uh, that that, that when, when the preacher preaches, God is going to judge this nation, uh, for really for any reason they want to pick, uh, because, you know, abortion isn't the only thing I've heard the nation's going to get judged for. Uh, it's intrigued me that somehow they think they're exempt. 
that 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 repentance is not something. The next breath ought to be God's going to judge the nation. Therefore, we need to repent. But they don't see that connection. It's as if the judgment's going on over there, but they'll still go to the supermarket and get their their five loaves and seven fishes and go home and eat. And it's like, no, when judgment comes down, it pretty much messes everybody's life up. And if if there's something, if our lives are getting messed up, then that's going to mean, you know, we're getting judged. That's going to mean that somehow we are, God holds us responsible for the wickedness of our nation. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, no, no question about it. Um, I have thought for some time that the reason that Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton for president in 2016 was that enough, pardon me, enough people in this country uh, dreaded the this prospect, the specter of a President Hillary Clinton uh, that they prayed and cried out to God for his, his grace and mercy to be spared that. And, uh, you know, we don't deserve his grace and mercy, but, uh, you know, he gave us a respite for four years and, uh, and gave us, uh, you know, what we asked for instead of what we uh, so richly deserved. And that's how we wound up with uh, Trump and some good things happening instead of uh, – I mean, imagine, of course, if, if Hillary had defeated Trump, you, you, you never would have overturned Roe. That's true. That's true. We would have lost the Supreme Court forever. Yeah, and, and who knows what else. Um, which, which is why there's, you know, God clearly hasn't turned it completely over. So it's, it means there's still time. Uh, but not if Christians are going to sit around um, waiting for the rapture. Yeah, which which is which is a whole other ball game. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I got theological there. I'm sorry. No, I don't mind. But yeah, by the same token, there's there's a growing faction in the church that doesn't think God uh, Jesus is about to return and thinks that the church is going to make the world a better place over the next thousands of years and so forth. And I'm not here to argue with either side. I'm just saying uh, you would think. In, in, in other words, I get why people who think that the rapture is about to happen, why they're not going to do anything. Uh, you don't polish brass on a sinking ship. So then the question is, why do those other Christians not do anything? Uh, because, you know, they think Jesus is going to be victorious in the world. Cool. I hope that's true. But I don't see them doing anything today either. And the conclusion I came to is, despite anybody's theology, there's an under, underlying presupposition that says, therefore, I don't have to do a damn thing. Uh, and then they cry out and go, but God, why are there food shortages? God, why is there COVID? God, why is everybody believing whoever? I, I can't say it. Fauci. Uh, uh, how, why are they putting a criminal in charge of health care? Uh, why isn't the governor of, of uh, New York being prosecuted for first for mass slaughter yeah. The elderly, when he put up those COVID people, why isn't this happening? And all I can say is God's turning us over to to the world that we are creating. Whether he's about to rapture us or whether he's about, you know, just getting started changing us, it's kind of irrelevant to our world today. It's irrelevant to all those babies being killed. It's irrelevant to all those elderly who were murdered by the governor of New York. Uh, 
the, what's relevant is today, did you do something to obey God and, and, and maintain his kingdom in some square inch of your life? That's where it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Whether not Jesus comes again, or I, I, don't, I don't mean again, he is coming again. Whether or not he comes on my timetable. Yes. Whatever that timetable might be is interesting. You know, I'd love to get to heaven and say, see, I was right. Uh, but the bottom <laughs> line is, the real question is going to be, I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was being led to slaughter. Did you rescue me? Were you the good Samaritan or were you the good Levite or the good uh, priest? What were you? Who passed you by on the other side. Um, you know, I'm, all the fancy eschatology you can come up with is nice. Um, I certainly have my opinions. But I know this, that, that, that what really cuts is, do I, do I establish the kingdom of God in the bottom of every toilet bowl I clean? Do I establish the kingdom of God every time I drive down the street and the people I talk to and the people I meet? Um, am I building the kingdom of God? Uh, and actually, that, the reason I use those terms is, is I run a coffee shop, uh, and, and, and I'm the last person, I just realized, 25 years of my life as a shopkeeper and there is no worse person to ever be. I, I just can't imagine I did this anyway. Uh, be, because it was right next door. Well, it's, it's in Asheville, which is a, um, which is sort of the, the woke capital of the, of, of the world. Um, and, uh, uh, it's right next door to a very liberal uh, college and, I've always had a real burden for the people who are the clinic defenders. That is the other side who would come out and heckle and harass us and push us around and beat us up and things like that yeah. when we were trying to rescue. I always had a burden for them because I always felt like if I could meet them in a non-confrontational environment, they'd, they'd be willing to listen to the gospel. And so what I did is I started a coffee shop, and I hired them to work for me. Uh, and so we hire every kind of person that um, in the past, the imprecatory psalms would be prayed against. Uh, only I would hire them and show them how to, and, and, and at some point I, I would tell them, I am discipling you to be a follower of Christ. Now I know that you don't believe in, in Christ as your Savior, but that doesn't mean you can't follow him because what he wants to do to be an effective barista or an effective whatever part of the organization they were um, is to minister to people and to meet their needs. Now, in our case, they're coming in for coffee, for peace, for quiet, for a little respite from the world. That's what a coffee shop offers. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I would teach them how to do that, and I would say, now, do you know that you're acting Christianly? And they're like, you, I mean, needless to say, they were, they're always shocked by this, but after a while they, they start realizing that Christians aren't these, these Nazi ogres who just fill in the blank you're well aware of what the woke say of us. Sure. But rather, we are people who meet the needs of our, our, our fellow people. It's taking up your cross. And out of that, I then explain how the cross of Jesus Christ also is what he took up for you to save, your, to save you. And it's, it's a, if you want to get fancy, it's an incarnational ministry. In other words, the word becomes flesh in our lives. Yes. And I just looked at, at uh, Matthew uh, 28 where he says, make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say convert them and disciple them. He says, make disciples of them. 
And so I just started on the discipleship end because that's an aspect of Christianity that if they knew about it, they would respect it and then build from there into uh, um, who is this God who this, this owner here, this old guy who's an owner, uh, says, I'm following. And, and uh, <laughs> did you know that you're doing the works that Jesus would want you to do? And then going from there to talk about, but you still have problems. It's not solving the problems of your life, but it's, and, and, and just going into how Jesus Christ died for our sins. And, and uh, that's, that's the whole spinning the whole world around, uh, the exact opposite of, of the, uh, either the let's hide away until they discover our church's Christianity, uh, or the street preacher goes out and beats them up. Um, and it, it's just saying, I'm going to try to make disciples out of these people. Um, yeah, and and, and then they the get it, sometimes they don't. And then the um, con- converting yeah. part is something that 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 God does, but you're you're planting the seeds. Exactly, and and uh, introducing them to a Christianity they can't believe exists. I, I mean, they really do think of us so much viscerally, much the same way we think of child abusers. It's like it curls their skin. Yeah. To be around a Christian. Yeah. Because they think of them as racist, Nazi. Uh, I mean, just, it's horrible what they think. And so at some point, I don't, I, that I tell them that I'm a Christian, that's, that's like a real touchy point in the relationship. Because it's sort of like coming out of the closet. Oh, well, we kind of thought you were a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. You're a Christian? I thought you were a nice guy. Yeah. Because that's what they've been yeah. taught. Right, exactly, and and uh, anyway, so it it is again. It's just putting that rescue thing. Rescue really is the is the incarnational ministry of God through His people. It's where we take up our crosses, where we don't worry about our own dignity, about our own uh, our own uh, uh, what people will think of us, but but rather we we reach out and we meet needs of very desperate, hungry, starving people who have no idea that what we have is actually food. Yeah. They have been taught isn't food. I'm sorry, what? They have been taught that it isn't food. Right, 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 right. Um, so you mentioned something a few minutes ago that I want to revisit because I think the odds are that most of my listeners are not familiar with the concept, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, of imprecatory psalms. Maybe you could explain oh. that. <laughs> I, um, at this point, I might be getting them as mad at me as the woke pro boards. Well, there's only um, one way to find out. Okay. <laughs> An imprecatory, as you can tell, I'm, I'm used to saying things that people don't like, and, and I'm, I'm gun-shy usually, but people <laughs> don't believe um, but but an imprecatory imprecation is just a curse, and yeah. these are psalms that curse. Yeah, curse the wicked. Yeah, uh, and actually, if you read the psalms, uh, you'll find that almost every psalm has something in it that says, "God, would you judge the wicked?" Something to that effect. And then there's some psalms, like Psalm 109, where the entire thing is David calling down a curse on I don't know who, but but. Uh, you know, it's it's a very graphic psalm because as he loved cursing, you know, for instance, one of the lines in it is, as he loved cursing, um, may cursing cling to him like a garment. May it penetrate his bones like oil. Um, 
that's pretty pretty creepy concept there. Yeah. Uh, of, of his cursing, and and uh, he just goes through. May his children beg bread. May his uh, wife grind for another. Uh, and I, I mean, it's 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 very intimate and crude. Um, and it goes on and on. Uh, but but that's that's just the song totally devoted to it. Most of the Psalms have, have some place in there in which they're asking God to judge the wicked. Uh, it, it's important to note, though, before we just jettison, and there's some people who say, how can God's word have a curse in it? Um, if you go, we're all familiar with how Stephen, um, his last prayer was on, on this earth, um, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. As they were stoning him no to way. death, yes. Right while he's being stoned. Then the last prayer we're heard from him is the, uh, is the martyrs under the throne. And they're praying, Lord, how long before our blood is avenged, before you avenge our blood? Yes, in the um, book of Revelation, they, they, yes. These two concepts fit together. Um, so we would pray imprecatory psalms uh, in front of abortion clinics, for instance, when the abortionists came in. I've, I've done that on a number of occasions. Yeah. Um, when the abortionist arrived. So, yeah. and, and of course, I've also had charges brought against us saying that those were death threats. And, uh, of course, my defense in court was, was, uh, we're praying to God that he do, that he do something. If you think God really will do something, then I, I would suggest you agree with us rather than trying to prosecute us. <laughs> So, what was the response when you when you when you uh, presented that legal theory? Well, this case just dragged out forever, and it was finally dismissed. I mean, it just it it it, it just lacked traction. Yeah, um, it, it was one of those cases where they're throwing anything against the wall to see if it sticks. Um, right, but there, there are people who have been successful. It doesn't really work on a criminal. Uh, uh, criminal justice, you can be sued for making th- threats, though, and, and, and it's worked there. I've, I've never been sued for that one. There are a number of people I know who have. So the the imprecatory Psalms, uh, Lord, break the jaw of the evildoer, this kind of thing, I think about right. this sometimes when we are reminded that we need to pray for our leaders, and when we have evil leaders like a, a Joe Biden or a Barack Obama, I mean, in the New Testament where we're uh, exhorted to pray for our leaders, it doesn't say, except for the imprecatory Psalms. Now, now don't pray those things. I mean, that right. I, I haven't found that anywhere. So I, you know, I, I, I talked about this a while back on one of my, uh, one of my podcast shows. Why is it that we, shouldn't pray imprecatory psalms uh, for leaders of the U.S. government who are just completely sold out to the idea of killing children. Yeah, just a few names come to mind right now. Schiff is one of them. Um, people who have totally devoted themselves to telling any lie not possible, not even necessary, possible, yeah, uh, to see to it that 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 the righteous are ground underfoot, um, and that's right across the spectrum from the preborn child all the way through to the um, whoever. 
all the rest of us, the widow and the orphan. Yeah, Adam Schiff, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, um, you know, any of these people. I, I, I don't see why in the world when we're exhorted to pray for our leaders, we do, don't just uh, grab some of the imprecatory psalms like Psalm 109, which which you mentioned. Now, I, I want to want to ask you, and by, by the way, for people just joining the live stream, we're speaking with Joseph Foreman. He has been for many years an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was one of the uh, co-founders of the Operation Rescue Christian pro-life movement back in the, uh, the late 80s. Uh, on a regular basis, when I'm speaking with people of faith who are taking note of bad things happening in our country, um, whether the fact that Joe Biden has said, hey, you're going to have food shortages, or the fact that the mainstream media is um, reporting the possibility of rolling blackouts this summer, um, uh, a number of ways, you know, before the decision to overturn Roe, in which uh, Donald Trump's nominees have severely disappointed uh, people of faith, uh, on a regular basis, I hear uh, Christians saying, "Well, you know this. This looks like the the we're we're in the end times, and and surely the Lord is going to come back because it's getting real bad." And I often think about the Christians in China, who apparently had been encouraged that at least some of them by some of the evangelists that that. Uh, they weren't going to have any really bad um, times of tribulation because Jesus is going to rapture them out, and then Mao Zedong takes over in the late 40s and just starts slaughtering them uh, by the millions. I wonder if you could speak to the idea that because things are getting bad in our country, uh, that would be a sign that surely the Lord is going to return soon. I'll give you two historical uh, precedents on this. One is uh, the precedent that um, oh, my father uh, was a missionary in China okay. and was held prisoner by, by Mao from 1949 to 52. Okay. Um, and so this is something that's very personal with, with me um, because he, he actually paid for being there and, and saw over 500 people get their brains shot out oh my. Uh, under his prison window. And a lot of them Christians he had worked with, and one was uh, they they had put a Red Guard boy in with them, and they uh, uh, talked because the Red Guard boy was supposed to to uh, turn him into, you know, was supposed to brainwash him and make a communist of him. And instead, the Red Guard kid uh, became a Christian, and the next day he sees him out on the courtyard getting shot. Uh, right in front of him as a graphic demonstration of your God is impotent to save. There's nothing he can do. We're going to win. Yeah. Um, and so then leap uh, about uh, oh about five how oh, I many probably about fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred years back. About sixteen hundred years back from now. To when Rome had become Christian, and the uh, uh, the the surrounding um, 
hordes were were attacking Rome and taking it over and burying it and all that kind of thing. And the Christians back then were appalled because they identified Christianity with Rome. Yeah, It's what we tend to do. And then during the medieval ages and after that, we identified Christianity with the West. And now Americans, Christians, have identified Christianity with America. Well, you know, if God can do without Christian Rome, if he can do without Christian medieval Europe, if he can do without medieval, uh, excuse me, post-medieval modern Europe, um, I don't think that something bad happening to us is the precursor of of Jesus coming back. You add to that, um, uh, I'm, I'm, it's just natural, though, that we would feel that way. We must be the most important Christians in the world. Therefore, these must be when the prophecies are being fulfilled. Um, and, and so then, um, when you look at the... Uh, 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 how over the last 200 years, all the same second coming prophecies have had different uh, contemporary events prove that it was the last day, the rapture was about to happen. And it's, it's just like a kaleidoscope of interpretation. I just think it's a very shallow way to view Scripture. Uh, that, that doesn't do God justice when he is being... Um, when, when the prophecy fulfillments change every 10 years. Uh, I mean, it was very exciting. I remember when I uh, first met, um, well, I can't think of his name, but who did the late, great planet Earth? Hal um, Lindsey. Hal Lindsey. Yeah. When I first met Hal Lindsey, he preached in our church. I had a first edition hardback copy of his book. I mean, it was the Bible to me. And by the time I graduated from college, almost every prop- prophetic fulfillment had changed. And now it's been three or four generations since Israel was back in the land. It's just sort of like, you know, maybe this isn't a healthy way to interpret. Um, now, like I said before, though, everybody who came out to Operation Rescue believed that interpretation. So that's what led me to say there's probably more than just somebody's interpretation of the last days that motivates whether or not they get involved. Yeah. Um, because I tell you what, the ref- I, I'm Presbyterian. So that that makes me more in the Calvinist camp, uh, and I look at all my Calvinist brethren. I sure don't see them uh, lifting their even their littlest finger to get involved in this thing. Oh, they'll howl from the pulpit, but that's about it. Um, and and it, it's just the uh, I, I I'm afraid I I lost track of your question. Um, because well, I got bogged down in this historical, uh, but just just for example, um, I I know things are pretty rough right now, uh, and all these these potential things seem to be about to happen. Just go read any account of the hundred years of the black, the black plague, where one third, yeah, the, where one third of the population dies. In other words. Literally everybody has seen dead bodies all over the place. They've seen their family members die yeah. of this horrible place. Um, you, you suppose that, that, that what would they say if they heard our Great Tribulation prophecy fulfillments? Uh, right. Well, I think, I think these days, I think these days a lot of people are looking at this globalist movement and the World Economic Forum and thinking, well, maybe this time would be different because it's not just America that is going to be in for very rough times, but it looks like kind of a a worldwide kind of thing. So I I, I don't know. 
I mean, we, we do tend to be myopic about, you know, our own experience in our own country. But I, I think at, at, at this point, people are looking at it like, you know, a, a worldwide thing. Joe Biden just announced that they're going to build a, a vaccine plant in the in the country of Senegal, apparently because not enough uh, black folks in Africa are getting vaccinated. And, you know, it's the, the concern is about population control worldwide and that kind of yeah. thing. Well, they and and um, this is something I I'm sure your listeners are very sensitive to the accusation that that they we me um, are 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 oh not principal what do you call it um, uh, privileged that we're we're privileged yeah and the privileged people are, are oppressing the unprivileged people well here in the abortion war. That is just something you can turn right back on a person, and when they say, "Well, there's going to be too many black males to feed," and and the answer is like, "Yeah, so you really think there's too many black people, and so we need to exterminate them before they get born?" Isn't this what privileged people always do? Yeah, they go to the they they use their privilege to oppress them. You have the privilege to speak and and just turn their whole language against them. Um. Abortion is the act of the privileged to murder the underprivileged. Of course. Oppress, of course. Kill. And it just use their language on them. Yeah. Um, I, and, I, and if they start saying, well, are you going to take care of these people? You know, what? You think there's too many black people and it's our burden to take care of them if we don't kill them? Um, I, I'll tell you a story about that. Well, I don't know if I should tell you this yeah, story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. There is a... Um, uh, we had gone out to eat. It was about 1130 at, at, at night. And we were eating out on the patio on the street. Um, and, um, one of the, um, one of the women in our midst had, had hired a, well, actually someone was concerned for her safety. So he hired her, uh, a, 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 about a six foot 10 black bodyguard. Yes. And the guy was huge. I mean, every time I looked up, I just thought, man, he's even bigger than I thought the last time. Wow. So anyway, this other person walks out of the crowd and we were just, just sitting around talking and comes up to me and asks what we're doing and finds out that we're pro-life. And so she just starts going on and on and on about whether or not she could, um, uh, whether we cared really about black people and about Hispanics and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, a couple of other people with me came up to talk to her. One was a, was a Hispanic woman, um, who had lived, I mean, in the middle of Santa Ana, um, at one point, she and her friend were leaving her house, and they came up to this guy who was lying on the, o- over the sidewalk, um, and they looked at him, and they said, oh, my gosh, he's dead. And so they stepped over him and went on. And she said, I never thought anything of it. And then I thought back and thought, I just saw a dead guy and stepped over him. Didn't even, in other words, that's how hardened she was in her environment growing up. So she came over to talk to her, and uh, uh, at, at that point, the, the bodyguard was standing about, oh, um, six, seven, eight feet away. I mean, he was, he was on the periphery, just, just making sure that nothing went south. Yeah. But he, was, he wasn't involved. And so I realized I wasn't going to get, get a word in edgewise with this. I mean, she was just preaching and preaching and preaching. Not, not the Hispanic girl, but, but this other white uh, privileged girl. Um, and, and so it just occurred to me. Um, so I... I said, wait, can I just say one thing, and, and the rest is yours. I said, 
from what you're saying, there's too many black people in the world. And if we allow more black people to be born, there's going to be too many black males to feed. And there's going to be no way that the white man can take care of them all. Is that what you're saying? And, and uh, she said, she just kind of looked at me. And then what I'm just saying that, you know, you Republicans don't care about anything. And, and so I just called her privileged and, and, and said, this is how the privilege always treat, treat people. They want to kill them before they become a problem to them. Yeah. They think they're the only who can. So that, then I just walked away and, and um, stood a, a few feet away. And then I noticed the bodyguard had walked in and, and, and came to the edge of the circle, um, you know, the edge of the people talking uh, and just stood there listening. And at one point, the girl's boyfriend kind of stepped across it to talk to somebody else. And he just immediately stepped right into it uh, there. And the, and, and the pro-abortion girl puts her hands on his stomach and pushes him. And he, in very clear and precise, vulgar street language, told her to get her hands off him or he would really, shall we say, mess her up. And it was a shock to me because I'm so used to everything we do is like, you just get beat up. You just get hit. You just, don't worry about stuff like that. But this bodyguard, this six foot ten black bodyguard, was like, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having it." Yeah, and and it's like he wasn't our bodyguard. His his charge was over on the other side of the of the street, practically. And um, so 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 then the boyfriend stepped up, and and uh, he says the exact same thing to him, and basically ran, run them off. And it occurred to me that that he he wasn't in the debate. But when he heard what she said, and when he when it clicked that that taking care of black people too many mouths to feed, therefore we should abort them. That's such we hear it all the time, and we're like, oh no, what do I say to that? But then when he heard me just reverse it and just say, fine, there's too many black people, so kill them. Is that what you think? Uh, and and all of a sudden she's speechless because she's coming to grips with the fact that she is a Nazi. She is a eugenicist. Yeah. She is a person who solves the problems of the world by killing useless eaters. That's what she does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you add to that the language of privilege. Uh, this is what privileged people do. And all of a sudden you discover that the woke have given us a whole vocabulary to turn back on them in, in the abortion issue. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's, and, and part of that for me just, just comes from the work with all the woke kids that I work with, um, is, is that I'm always tapping into their value system and showing them how they've stolen it from Christianity. Um, uh, you know, they, they're very concerned that, that people not be oppressed. Well, isn't Jesus kind of a concern with that? Uh, where did that concern come from? There's no pagan religion in the world. That, that grew out of it only grew out of Christianity. They've yeah. taken it, they've secularized it, and because they don't see it in the church, they assume that we're the greatest hypocrites on earth. So when I show them that that their very language, their very concerns, their ethical positions are actually positions that Jesus Christ took, and by the way, the church of his day didn't like it much either. Uh, but he didn't he didn't secularize it. Rather, he is the Son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, and, and he solves those problems both in your life and makes you somebody who solves them in other lives. And, and that's the whole nature of the gospel, and that's what rescue is. 
is when you save somebody. Yeah, no question about that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to be sure that nobody thinks I meant to save somebody and get them to That's not what I meant. Okay, you you were breaking up on me there for a minute. You, you didn't mean what now? I didn't mean uh, that we save people uh, from hell and get them to heaven. What I meant is in our life all around us, there's people in need, and we reach out to them and protect them. That's, right. that's what I meant by save. The, the, I, as you can tell, I'm gun shy on this because people will say, well, you just think we save people. No, I don't think that at all. I think that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. Right. And that means that there's a sense in which we reach them uh, and, and offer them human in this life protection. So um, I, I want to ask you, since um, the overwhelming majority of the people who download the Doc Washington Show podcast are from outside the state of Arkansas, and yet Arkansas is where I do the show from. Um, shortly after the leak of the draft decision on the Dobbs case, um, which suggested that this U.S. Supreme Court might actually overturn uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, the U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that we would certainly look forward to the court overturning Roe. It's something that we've all hoped for for many years, and if they do, of course, there are going to be state legislatures that will quickly move to uh, restrict, regulate, perhaps even outlaw abortion. And he said, and you know, we, we could we could move to try to outlaw abortion here uh you know, in in the nation's capital, in the U.S. Congress, and um, That's mighty big. I'm sorry, what? That's mighty big of him. Well, well, yeah, yeah, we it's to... it's better than what the uh, governor of Arkansas said. He got in front of a microphone as quickly as he could on uh, ABC's This Week. Martha Raddatz filling in for George Step on all of us, and he said, "Oh no, no." We wouldn't want to see a federal law against abortion. No, 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 no. The thing about Roe is it sends it back to the state legislatures, and and each of the 50 state legislatures must decide on this for um, the, their, their own state. Now, um, Aza Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas, who last year actually vetoed a bill that would have outlawed puberty blockers, would have outlawed chemical and surgical castration in the state of Arkansas, vetoed the bill because that's what Walmart and Arkansas Chamber of Commerce wanted to do. Um, this ASA, Arkansas Right to Life Hutchinson, this ASA, I'm going to speak out against abortion every year on the Arkansas March for Life, all of a sudden is endorsing the blue states continuing to kill children and there's been very little outcry about this. Um, Aza Hutchinson, who, who graduated from Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, many, many, many years ago. Uh, I, I was wondering if you would want to, um, because, you know, for once, I mean, it's very rare. McConnell said something that I'm going like, well, that would be, yeah, that would be a good development if you would try to do that. Um, but Hutchinson was like, no, no, no. Please let the murder of the unborn continue in the blue states. I was wondering if you wanted to take a swing of this one. Um, 
Yes. And I'll, one of the things that my father had me do was read extensively of what all the, uh, of, of, of everything Karl Marx wrote of which, and Lenin wrote and Stalin wrote. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so consequently I know a bit more about Lenin than I would like to know, but I know the one thing that he said that was the most critical, critically important thing for the victory of, of Marxism. And you can expand that just to say for the victory of your side is to be sure that the, that the other side is led by uh, your people. And uh, ah. as I look at National Right to Life, and we now have 50 years of their track record, uh, they went from the first 10 years of being nothing but an educational organization, and would to God they had stayed that. Instead, they came to a split with Joe Scheidler, and Scheidler became the godfather of all activism. It's almost like one of those Old Testament passages in Genesis nine or something, and uh, and they became the fathers of of all um, political action. And when you look at their political action activism on a systematic basis, they have opposed every piece every piece of legislation that would effectively block abortion. They say that they're nibbling away at it. And everything that they've proposed has always been so full of loopholes, it would enable anybody to do anything with their unborn child that they wanted to. And, and on a systematic basis, right to life has been behind uh, the, the, the dismantling and the, the assault and attack on every effective piece of legislation, and yet they continue to hold, if you will, the high ground of pro-life movement. Um, and uh, uh, politically... Many, many, uh, and, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if whoever it is on the Republican ticket, um, is, is, is no better. This guy's a Democrat. No, he, he. No, 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 no. We, we haven't elected Democrats in Arkansas in a long time. Okay. And, and as a general rule, you can count on the Republican party to actually do and to cement into place everything the Democrats you know, once they get to power, we oppose, you know, we oppose Obama, but the minute he's out, um, if we'd gotten anybody but Trump, uh, that Republican would have cemented in place everything Obama, uh, tried to accomplish. But Obama really was terrible as a politician. Um, I think he was much better at running the, uh, underground anti-Trump movement. Uh, well, running brilliant. the, the underground what now? You were breaking up for a moment. The underground anti-Trump movement. Oh yeah, he's he's been very active on that. It, he he sucked as a politician. Sorry about my language, uh, but as an underground activist organizing that movement against Trump, I would say that that was probably the one of the best coups in history. And I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm I'm just saying my hat's off to to uh, it was masterful. By by the uh, best, you mean me, most effective? Yeah, yeah, most effective. That that's what I meant. And, um, I, I mean, I feel, feel kind of like Jesus when he said, you know, the sons of this age are wiser than the, than, than the, um, whatever, than, than the good guys. Right. Um, and shrewder, whatever he said. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, that's, that's what I feel about, about Republicans is, is their goal is not truth. It's not the constitution. It's not any of those things. It's, um, it's, it's how to secure their position. It's how to secure, give them 
you know, just take natural right to life during Operation Rescue. They, they, they came into the era of Operation Rescue with a budget of $1.5 million. They went out of Operation Rescue with a budget of $7 million and cushy retirement plans for all of their uh, major workers. Now, is that an organization that is in any way going to benefit by the end of abortion? No, they're toast. So they just are, they, people just don't work against their own self-interest, and they've set up their self-interest to be the continuing battle, uh, the continuing um, battle against uh, abortion that they will always be in. Yeah, which which brings us to something that you had um, referenced a little bit earlier, which is that some of these red states, which are already saying, okay, well, abortion's against the law in this state, unfortunately have large blue metropolitan areas, I think of Houston and Dallas and Texas, I think of Atlanta, I think of Miami and Tampa and Orlando and Jacksonville, I think of Nashville and Memphis, uh, I think of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, even Little Rock, Arkansas, and you're questioning whether Democrat prosecutors will actually uh, indict abortionists on these new state laws being passed in these red states when it comes to the big blue population centers. I'm sure they won't. I mean, I'm sure they won't prosecute. Yeah. And, and again, now's the time. There's, in all of those areas, there are um, easily 8,000 8, churches which could very easily divide up all the abortion clinics and see to it without any undue pre- stress going to any church that there's someone there blocking the door every day. It would yeah. be a different church every day. Yeah. It would be very easy easy to do. Um, it won't be done at this point because the churches uh, worship the state. They worship Caesar, and they don't worship God. It's as simple as that. I'll bet you half the churches in Texas have an American flag in the sanctuary, um, which is mind-boggling to me. Always has been. Long before Operation Rescue, I love America. I mean, my... I'm glad I'm here, but you don't put your country's flag in the sanctuary. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. We are not the Church of America and Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, if you want to put a flag, eh, I can't even find a place for a flag. The Church is the Church. America will come and grow. We will be here. Um, and the very idea that we identify ourselves with with even a very good country, yeah. it's going to be nothing more on the historical landscape by the time it's all over is beyond me. We are the kingdom of God. Who are these, who, who are these people who trample our court? Um, you yeah, know, I mean, that's, Isaiah said you would close your doors. Yeah, that certainly transcends, um, you know, any kind of uh, nation, nationality. Um, no question about that. Um, so, so with, with, the, the specter, the, 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 the prospect of liberal prosecutors not indicting abortionists in large blue cities, in red states, which have passed laws against abortion, um, that would call on people of faith 
to continue uh, pressing forward and, and obeying God in trying to stop the murder of the innocents. Rescuing in such a situation would create two things. One is, no longer is it the law of the land that people be permitted to murder babies so they can no longer use that as a, as a reason to suppress our testimony. When we would go into court having rescued children and we would have graphic evidence that we had rescued children, the court, as a preliminary order, would, would this is what the prosecutors would do. They'd make a preliminary motion and the court would affirm it that there's only one question which can be asked, and that is, were you there in front of the door? Were you blocking access? That's it. It's a trespass question, okay? Uh, you, if any attempt is made to bring up the children or why we were there, that the place is an abortion clinic, or even the place was a clinic at all or medical, was blocked out. We were at such and such an address and blocked access. Yes or no? That was the only issue. Well, now, without Roe, I don't think they'll have the legal basis to say it's the law of the land because of the specific laws criminalizing it in Texas, or I mean in a, in a red state, they, we will actually be upholding state law, which always takes precedent over local law. Uh, and then beyond that, we will be able to present in court, if it gets that far, and I hope it does, we will be able to present in court the life of the child and make that the issue of the trial every time. Uh, and, and while I think we'll lose a few, I think by and large that kind of publicity for the unborn child will be huge. But then beyond that, um, we are also bringing evidence uh, for state prosecution of the abortionists by bringing the evidence that they're killing children. Uh, and, and, and we're doing it in a way which forces everybody to look at it. Yeah. So for those, I think that, that this is a situation tailor-made for rescue. Yeah, in the interest of full disclosure, um, somewhere around, I guess it was 19, uh, 1992, 93, I hosted a, uh, a call-in talk show on cable access in Austin, Texas. And it was a show that was already in existence when I became the host. And the point of it was no matter what we were talking about, at some point we were actually going to show on cable access television what aborted babies look like. Most people in America have no idea um, what actually transpires in an abortion. Um, is, is this something that, that you think – that the church should be more involved in actually getting the truth out so people see with their own eyes so they can no longer say, well, gee, I had no idea. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, Eisenhower walked uh, people from the neighboring town through the uh, concentration camps, and they had to look at the piles of of just emaciated dead Jews. Uh, You better believe it. Uh, it, it, In fact, ultimately... It's the face of the child that makes the difference. Um, when, when, when people see those faces, those hands, those arms, those legs, um, they're, you just, it's one of those things that it can't be unseen. Yeah. Um, it's why people get so angry when we do street demonstrations showing the dead babies. Um, it, it's like it gives them a chance to testify on their own behalf. 
Yeah, what speaking of people being angry at public displays, uh we're we're coming to the end of um of Pride Month. Uh the uh the month that has been set aside by the uh uh the the homosexuals uh to do uh marches and this kind of stuff and we're seeing all over social media um basically uh naked people uh yeah. in in these uh, so-called pride parades and and people bringing small children to witness this and what does it say about our society that people are offended at seeing the truth about abortion but will take small uh you know grade school and even younger children to see naked people uh, marching or riding bicycles in, in some kind of pride parade. Yeah, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, it certainly is. It's just how, how far have we fallen? Well, Joseph Foreman, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. That you execute these people or the, or the drag queen reading, um, uh, you know, children's literature to, to kids, uh, they can't be prosecuted for uh, uh, moral endangerment or uh, I can't think of all the stuff that uh, child abuse, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there should be a lot of indictments. But again, if you're talking about large blue metropolitan areas, um, they're, they're apparently just kind of given over to this movement. Um, and, and that's a shame. Uh, we're speaking with Joseph Foreman, one of the co-founders of the uh, Christian pro-life organization, Operation Rescue. Uh, and wow, we, we appreciate you being on with us a lot longer than I'm sure, uh, you had planned. Is, is there, a, are there any parting thoughts, uh, that you would like to share with my listeners before I mercifully finally let you go? Well, or mercifully finally let them go. Um, I've, um, there's a personal thing I do want to share. And that is, is, uh, uh, my wife who was, uh, with me through all of these, uh, through that 10 years, uh, and all my kids, um, uh, they all rescued. They were all part of it. Cause we did this whole thing as a family, not as, as just one individual out there. Uh, anyway, she has, um, she just went into AFib the other day. She runs a catering service. Uh, it's a business we run together, and uh, of which the coffee shop that I talked about earlier is just part of it. But she went into AFib, and when she went to uh, get her cardio version, she found out that she has a, a blood clot on um, um, on her, I want to say atrium, but that's not what it's called. Uh, atrial fibrillation. Yeah, maybe it is her atrium. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm... I found that out right before I, I, you were trying to get a hold of me, Doc, right as I was finding that out. So I don't even know all the details about it, um, other than to know that, that um, uh, long ago she and I both decided when there's nothing you can do about something, you don't, you don't fret. But if I could ask for you all to, um, to pray. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, we certainly will. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, sir. I would appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm. I, I don't think I've ever done this before, but uh, let me just offer a prayer right now. Uh, I don't think I've ever done Please. this on the talk show before. Uh, Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Lord, we thank you for giving your son to die for our sins. We thank you for all your many blessings, Lord, including 
the the ministry of uh, Joseph Foreman and his wife Anne and uh, and their parents before them. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, to trust you and to reach out to you. And we ask for you to bring healing uh, to Joseph's wife Anne. And we ask that your peace, which passes all understanding, uh, would uh, continue to reign in their hearts, in their home. And we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for their ministry. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you have written uh, over the years some very compelling uh uh, explications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it applies to us in our everyday lives. If people want to uh, uh, read some of the things that you've written, I think you've got a couple of books out. Uh, uh, maybe you could share the names of the books, but do, do you have a website or, or even a Facebook page where people could keep up with things? I have a, website. I have a Facebook page, um, just my name, um, and my my father's picture on it at about age ninety three, um, which everybody looks at and thinks it's me, which is okay because I found that people are much less trolling when they think it's that guy who's talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't get half the trolls that I would be getting. Um, but um, yeah, and I uh, I am technologically impaired. Right. I'm working now and just trying to get some stuff published and I got to find somebody who wants to publish it. Right. I, I, I don't mean in the sense of Zondervan or something. There's so many ways to publish things uh, now, uh, but I, I'm incompetent to do it. Right. Right. I certainly, uh, I certainly know the, uh, the feeling. Um, so uh, it looks like one of your books, it's from 30 years ago, called Shattering the Darkness, the Crisis of the Cross in the Church Today. Could you just share a few words uh, about that with my listeners? Well, that's pretty much, uh, as, we were, as we were rescuing, um, I realized that so many people saw it as a form of activism. Yeah. And... Uh, and not as a form of saving lives. And then when you look at the word rescue, that's what Savior means. Jesus rescued us. He's our Savior. He saved us. And then when you look at what it means to be a Christian, it means we are people who lay down our lives for others, um, and, and we rescue them. Uh, that's why I said, take up my cross. And so uh, the, the question that to me is, is so disturbing is, where is the church? Why are Christians not there? And in fact, a lot of Christians came out. It was only 55,000 that were arrested. There were a lot more than that that came out to at least stand on the sidewalks, and there were times nobody got arrested and things like that. But, but um, it, it, it was to explain from a biblical point of view why we do what we do, and, and I found the concept of the cross in, in the words of Jesus Christ and the actions and the things that he did uh, to be... The, what is largely lacking on the whole in the church itself. We have become a very comfortable middle class uh, or even lower blue collar. I mean, it's it's not so much a class thing. Wherever we are, we're comfortable in that niche 
we've lost the concept that we are the ones, if we don't stand for justice, there will be no justice. Uh, if, if, and, and we've, unfortunately, uh, for the first 350 years of our country's history, we did not stand for justice. Uh, and now we're beginning to reap the whirlwind of that. Uh, in the whole Black Lives Matters movement, we did not stand for justice over all those years, uh, and and um, so it's the book doesn't get into all that. It's written long yeah. before that, but it's the, where the church doesn't stand for what is true, and the simplest thing to say to cross the street to save the life of a baby, really, you can't. Christians won't do that, um, and Christians call themselves follower of that guy on the cross. But how did this happen? You know, it's, that's a fascinating story. How did we get into this situation um, where, where, where the cross is something Jesus did for us a long time ago, uh, but has no real relevance in how we sacrifice on behalf of others? And um, anyway, that's, that's kind of what the book about. It, it's, it's much more of a devotional uh, surrounding how should you live in a world where they murder children. Um, and if, if, let's say it's, hundreds of years from now when they don't do that anymore, how do you live in a world that, where the church accepts the evil that it accepts, whatever it might be for that age? You know, for us, it isn't slavery. Cool, I get that. It isn't Jim Crow. Um, for us, it's other issues. But, but in, in every age, the church has been challenged to be the force to, to take up its cross and change that world. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's more or less what the book is about. And, of course... The, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, pretty quickly you find out, oh, these people are just hucksters ripping off uh, those who think they're actually going to do something and buying, you know, uh, mansions uh, and, and that sort of thing. Um, That's the tragedy of it. The actual black lives who matter are once more exploited by the uh, white socialists who, who want them to matter enough to raise money to buy their mansions. Well, uh, uh, white socialist, black socialist, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and 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 they're uh, that's just a tragedy. Where's the church? Um, you know. Anyway, that that's getting far afield. But when I was early on, when when somebody said, "Do you think Black Lives Matter?" I said, "They absolutely do." Jesus Christ came and died for each black life personally. Uh, you better believe the Christians are the only ones who actually do think they matter. Uh, I, I never understood why we say, well, all lives matter. I mean, that's, yeah, well, if all lives matter, then I can say that your life matters. But if I'm a Christian, I'm, in that sense, I'm an individualist. Christ died for Doc Washburn, so his life matters. His life matters as a white man, and if he was black, it would matter as a black man. It's like, it, what matters is Jesus Christ died for you, therefore I value you. Uh, and, and I would try to communicate that. If anybody comes along telling you that there's some other source for your identity in a group, then they're using that group to, to, to abort you, to take over you, to be something you aren't. Only God says your life matters, and it matters to him. And therefore, it matters to me. And if anybody else comes along and says you have to be a part of our group, you know, you know right away you're being exploited. Yeah. Yeah, I want to um, – I looked up your book, Shattering the Darkness, The Crisis of the Cross in the Church Today, on Amazon. And they have a quote, uh, the preface of the book, written by Ruth Bell Graham. 
who was uh, Billy Graham's wife before they both passed away, and she said, in this, in the compelling book, Joseph Foreman outlines the path which God has sent before him. Not all will be called to follow his exact path, but the issues he raises cannot be dodged if we are to be faithful to our calling to be light and salt in the world. If at times his voice raises blister, perhaps it is because he has seen more clearly than most the terrible price of indifference and compromise. Yeah, I was very, you know, the entire, uh, uh, not, not, not bill, but, but, but the rest of the organization was doing everything they could to keep me from talking to her. But because she grew up in China and my dad was a missionary in China that made her my aunt Ruth. Um, <laughs> and so consequently she would always see me if, if anytime I asked, cause she was my neighbor. We, we grew up together and I, we didn't grow up together. I grew up in Montreat, which is where the Grams lived. And, um, uh, so, so we were on, 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 on good terms and they were terrified that I was going to get to her. She was told not to have anything to do with it. So she writes that brief little blurb for, she says, I'm really sorry. I can't do anything more than this, but here, Joseph, you'll know what to do with it. Go get them. And you were like, no, this works. Yeah. Because Billy Graham, stone to throw that people don't get in Old Testament stoning that it's it's a if nothing else it's a metaphor for the fact that all of us have something we can do about evil. Yeah, Uh, we're not. God has given it's a community thing, and incidentally, I just to get all, all political on you here. Do you know that in the law of Moses there is no executive governor, there's no king. They, they're not that. I'm, I'm, you may have me on for another time to defend that thing, but one of the things that shocked me is the law of Moses doesn't have an executor. The executors of those who execute the law are the people. When the judge passes such a judgment, you shall, you know, you shall in your town, everybody go do it. The people shall do it. Yeah. There's no executive government who comes in and says, "I'll be your executioner. I'll be your, I'll be your uh, prison master. I'll be your." Your dungeon master. Um, Moses didn't have one, and people don't understand that because they think that Moses is the the definition of a theocracy—the guy in charge who hears from God and then makes us do things or kill us. But it's the exact opposite of that. And um, each one of us, even if it's Ruth Graham, who we think of as being a mighty Christian, and, and she is, uh, but she can't do anything that takes my responsibility away from me or your responsibility from you. Right. Everybody's got a stone to throw. Remember that song, Everybody's Got a Seed to Sow? I always think everybody's got a stone to throw. <laughs> Metaphorically uh, speaking, just, in this day and age. Um, yeah. So, Spiritually, of course. So I would be remiss in my duty um, since I went to Amazon, since I saw Ruth Bell Graham's preface to your book, and since you mentioned, if I understood you correctly, that Everybody in the Billy Graham organization, uh, Billy Graham evangelistic organization, was trying to keep her from speaking to you as you were working on this book. Um, Dr. Graham himself said some very problematic and troubling things about his basically not having a problem with abortion being legal, and not on just one, but on several occasions on, on CNN and, and worldwide television. Uh, what did you think when you heard him talking that way? 
I was under the impression that was way early on because the entire Southern Baptist Assembly uh, approved of abortion on demand. Well, okay. I mean, so in, in the... It, I write off to the gross ignorance of the evangelical church generally from top to bottom, from popular to unpopular, is is, is that by and large, um, they, they, they hadn't thought through what it what it meant. I'm not aware that he said that later on, um, certainly not after Operation Rescue. But if he did, then, then I'm just not aware of it. I'm, I'm, uh, well, I mean, in, I, in, in, I will say, it seems like every time he opened up his mouth on a social issue, generally he took the position, I preach the gospel, get saved. Um, and that's all I do. Yeah. Uh, every time he opened his mouth on a social issue, uh, it was a disaster as far as I was concerned. I don't think he came down on one social issue that I, when he was in Moscow and said that they're freer in Moscow than they are in America. I, you know, that was one of those weird state, but, but just as a general rule, uh, he did better when he just kept his mouth shut and did crusades. Well, I, I saw him in the early nineties. Uh, they were, um, he was in Atlanta uh, to uh, to do an invocation prayer, they're getting ready to open up a a, a big domed stadium there in Atlanta, um, and uh, so he was on CNN that morning, uh, and um, uh, Bob Kane, Bob Kane was who was the the anchor on CNN. I remember that, and um, he had been on Larry King Live a little bit earlier. And Larry King, I think it had somebody from Operation Rescue on a few weeks earlier. And Larry King had said, well, Dr. Graham, we had somebody on recently, uh, a pro-life activist who said something I'd never thought about because Billy Graham was in favor of the rape and incest uh, exception for abortion. And uh, Larry King said to Dr. Graham, he said, if you're saying that life begins at conception, that we're talking about a human baby no matter how it was conceived, uh, then aren't you still talking about killing a baby regardless of if it was conceived by rape or incest? And Larry Graham's, uh, Billy Graham said, good point. And then, you know, a little while later, he's on CNN with Bob Kane, and um, they're taking phone calls from people. And somebody asked about, um, you know, uh, abortion, and he said, well, I would be against it except uh, as uh, – you know, some of the exceptions that the Pope approves of, like rape and incest. And he even he even said that his, um, his father-in-law, uh, Dr. L. Nelson Bell, had been a missionary in China and, and explained to him that sometimes uh, uh, abortion was, was necessary. And that just flabbergasted me. And this was in the days before I knew what the Internet was, but I was in Austin, Texas, and I went down to the public library and got the um, got the addresses of every Christian publication I could find, and sent off an open letter to them, uh, basically condemning this idea uh, that you could be in favor of killing babies by abortion because you didn't uh, approve of the way uh, they were conceived. And it was not too long after that that uh, World Magazine, which is based there. And uh, in your hometown, uh, uh, Montreat Black Mountain area, Asheville, uh, 
uh, I found out several years later they did a couple of uh, a couple of issues on the on that whole thing. Well, I I can honestly say I missed that, um, and that is just very grievous news. Uh, but I mean, he I mean, if, he goes on to uh, to preach the inaugural prayer for Bill Clinton's inauguration in 1992, and then again in 1996 after you know four years of uh, Bill Clinton be being strongly pro-abortion, and I just I don't know. Um, I I didn't mean to catch you flat-footed on this. I I didn't realize I was going to be bringing up something you weren't aware of. I wasn't. All I can say is it just goes back to what I was saying is almost every time he stepped into a social issue, he went up to his neck in a cesspool with his answers. They just, they just stunk. Um, it's, I'm sorry to say that, but, but I mean, that's now you've just given me one more that just makes me feel bad. Well, I'm sorry that that was not my intention today. Feel bad, like oh man, you made me feel bad. But I mean, it's just like you know, publish it not in Gath. Uh, when when Saul is killed, uh, David mourns and, and and just said, let you know, uh, publish it not in Gath. He kills the guy who brings the news. Uh, it's just I won't kill you. Don't worry, Doc. <laughs> well, that's that's but, always but uh, refreshing news. But it's just a great it, it's just a great evil to hear. Um, that people who use the name of the Lord abuse it like that. Um, I, I mean, who otherwise would seem to be very impressive. Yeah. Um, are th- that they do that? I will say this though. I, um, you know, in no way to defend him. Uh, all he did is speak for ninety-five percent of the American church. You know, I mean, that's however he came to his position. That's how about ninety five percent of the church is in favor of of uh, uh, living with child murder. Gives them one more thing. They they you've seen the cartoon, I'm sure, where it says that the Republican politicians dread uh, the uh, the overturn of Roe because then they won't have anything to work to run on and raise money for. Um, you know, it's it's like well now what are they going to do? Uh, and that's where most of the church is. That's why that's where most of them are. That's where Billy Graham was. Sorry to hear it. Yeah. But um, it just means our job is that much more important because the mighty will, the mighty will not carry the battle. It's just, it will not be won by them. And we're finding out it won't even be fought by them. You can't depend on anybody to do your job for you. Yeah. God's given you that stone. He hadn't given it to somebody else. Uh, so Roe v. Wade, somebody said Roe v. Wade going down as a triumph for the church or the church, you know, somehow getting the church credit for it. And I would say, no, Roe going down is, is the court acting biblically finally. Uh, the church is still in the, there in the corner, um, hoping the whole, you know, hoping the bad man will go away. Or in the church's case, the bad woman will go away. Yeah. Um, they're not even afraid of a man. Yeah. You know, it's so, re- remarkable. I, I, I saw a clip of the the View television show from from yesterday, and they were talking about you know don't put your religion on us. This is awful, et cetera, et cetera. Clarence Thomas is awful. They didn't mention the other justice, just Clarence. Um, yeah. And, and it, it was remarkable to me because, it, and it's ironic because in one sense you're like, well, no, uh, overturning Roe was not 
a victory for the church. It was the court actually doing the the right thing, the court obeying God. And, and yet, mm-hmm. the court wasn't quoting Scripture. The court just said, well, look, here's the deal. Uh, Roe v. Wade was decided uh, wrongly because there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution uh, about abortion, and they just kind of made a bunch of stuff up out of whole cloth. And so the, the, the actual argument was just a legal argument. Uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were just, um, they were decided wrongly. Uh, there, there's no legal or constitutional justification for these, uh, for these two um, uh, Supreme Court decisions of your and we're going to overturn them just like earlier Supreme Courts overturned Plessy versus Ferguson and Dred Scott and all the rest. Right. And which actually raised an interesting question was uh, Plessy versus Ferguson and Dred Scott overturned by uh, reference to Scripture or just by uh, by what? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I you know I I would I would gather that at some point in the the history of the Supreme Court they 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 must have quoted scripture at some point because we used to be a a much different uh, kind of society than we are now. But but I don't know. I haven't read the uh, the decisions overturning either Dred, Dred Scott or Plessy versus Ferguson. That is a good question. Um, well, um, I have got to. If nothing else, find out what's going on back at home. Yes, sir. And um, and I appreciate you so, staying with us for so long. I really enjoyed it, Doc. It's always worthwhile talking to you. Joseph Foreman, God. Tell me that I didn't know. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you always have something to say that I hadn't thought of before. Well, I, I appreciate so much your, your being with us today, and God bless you, and we will continue praying for you and your wife and, and your family. And uh, once again, uh, the book is Shattering the Darkness, the Crisis of the Cross in the Church Today. You can get it on on Amazon, and you can follow Joseph Foreman, uh, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, on on Facebook. Uh, God bless you, sir, and and Godspeed. Thank you much. All right. Have have a great day. Thank you so much. All right. So... um, I had no idea that that conversation was going to go that that long, but um, uh, certainly uh, certainly gave me a lot to think about. No question about it. Um, you just never know. You never know what's going to happen on the Doc Washburn show. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year, and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. 
No matter what the injury, Justin Minton, make sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines? Neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes... You probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. You're outside Central Arkansas. Go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you so much once again to our advertisers and our friends. They are our friends, and uh, and we really appreciate them. Really appreciate them. All right. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Your Way. RedRiverYourWay.com is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's tweet of the day. Guy named Wesley Yang, who writes on Substack, he had a tweet from yesterday. It said, what are the best tweets ever written? And a bunch of people responded to him. A bunch of people responded to him. One of the great responses was from David Burge, who goes as the Iowa Hawk blog. He said, journalism is about covering important stories with a pillow until they stop moving. Another, somebody sent a screenshot of a tweet from Norm McDonald, the late, great comedian Norm McDonald, who said back in December of 2016, what terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill 50 million Americans, imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. He was a comedian. So, 
That is today's tweet of the day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the 48 contiguous U.S. United States. Appreciate y'all. You've been listening to episode 183 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X. And that's the way it is, Tuesday, June 28th, 2022.